Toodle fucking ooh. What the fuck was that? Were you an Amy Winehouse fan? Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. I, I know you. I know there's like a lot of people on your list. I'm not that, a Mark Ronson fan. What's the relation to Amy Winehouse? He made that Back to Black album, which basically no way. put her he's on the, the map. He's yeah. the producer for mm-hmm. that album? Wow. I actually like Mark Ronson then. I know. That album is amazing. He's just a smart curator. Like he Have knows you heard what to do. The, the YouTube, have you seen the YouTube video of her singing Love is a Losing Game? Yes, I've the seen The edit that. or like the demo and she was, and she asks at the end, she's like, was that all right? She says it like very subtly, like so humbly. I, and I'm, everybody's in tears after they hear it, but she didn't think it was good enough. I know. That's amazing, right? She's, she's incredible. She's a real one. Um, how's everybody doing? How's October going so far? It's going. It's going? I'm a little, I feel like a high anxiety today for some Why? reason. I don't know. It's is got it Columbus me a little, Day? Maybe, maybe. Well, my name is Native American, but I'm Italian. Have any of you guys been to Spain? You were just in Spain. Yeah, right? I was just in Spain. Enjoy. Did you see Columbus's tomb? I did not. If, where Where is it? Where in I, Spain? I want to say it's in Sev- Sevilla. Oh, I didn't. I didn't make it up there. Um, okay, but I've seen it, or it could be actually. I don't know where it is. It's in one of the cities that I was in. I was in five cities in Spain, and I was and I saw it. It's super tiny. He was a little dude. <laughs> under I think five everyone feet. was a little dude back then. I know. That's true. I can't find I saw his to... house in um, the Dominican Republic in July. He has a house there? He had a house there. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you're listening to Pot of Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Today we're talking, I'm really fucking excited because we're talking about Richie April, basically. You might as well have just named this episode fucking Richie, but episode three, season two, Toodle Fucking Ooh, air date January 30th, 2000, written by Frank Renzulli and directed by Lee Tamahori, who's an interesting, this is the first time we've heard his name mentioned in the show. He's a seasoned director from New Zealand. Um, He's done movies like Along Came a Spider and Die Another Day. And uh, he directed this episode. I think this is the only episode that he did for The Sopranos. HBO synopsis, Tony busts Meadow for partying at his mother's old house. Meanwhile, Richie April is out of the can after 10 years and looking for action, much to the chagrin of a local pizza shop owner. Title, anybody got any thoughts or context on the title? I just wondered how they would put the title on A&E when it was aired on television. If you, look the at expletive. The, if you look at the way that... HBO Go does it. It has Toodle F, um, asterisk, asterisk. By the way, have any of you watched an A&E Sopranos version episode? It's awful. Skimmed. You've skimmed. It's awful. Not. Every episode's about 20 minutes shorter. (laughs) The previously on Sopranos is what's most interesting, how they like recap what happened. It makes it seem like this really dramatic soap opera. That's what's always weird. When you see like, how they, you know, like previously on Sopranos. I was like, what? Can you find those anywhere? Yeah, because I they don't, see that. They don't have those on HBO Go. Like, you can't Yeah, see I forget where I watched info. them, and I remember I was just like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Because I don't remember watching it where it had that. Yeah. So it was so, dr- like, dramatic. It's like, this is a comedy to me. This is hilarious. Yeah, it's like, both. Yeah, it was wild. Can you I'll imagine there's them. a universe of people out there? I don't know how big this universe is. But that have only experienced the show through Annie. That's even yikes. Yeah. Got to be kids that their parents. This is the only way they'll let them. I I gotta assume. Or people that just can't handle. Yeah, any I can't even. I, I can't even. What would? 
it's a ratings thing. So what it's would be deleted, left out? Bad language, certain sex Nudity. scenes, and violence. Yeah. So blood. There's not much left. Like I said, twenty minutes every episode gone. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Okay, so today we're mostly going to talk about Richie, and we're introduced to Melfi's therapist, Elliot. We'll talk about him and, and Dr. Melfi, and then we'll we'll round it out with Janice, but mostly Richie. But before we jump into Richie, a couple of topics, um, overarching topics, I'm hoping we can get into. In prepping for the show today, as a matter of fact, on Columbus Day, a.k.a. Indigenous Peoples Day, um, I read in Soprano's Autopsy this notion of the people and the individuals and the even universities and academic institutions that analyze the Sopranos. And uh, I'm hoping that you can Dr. Justin the fuck out of this in a second. But Sopranos Autopsy made mention of the corpus of analysis, criticism, and evaluation of the show. He cited a 2002 article that's now published in The Guardian by a guy named Andrew Anthony. And Anthony, for all intents and purposes, pretty much rails against the practice that we undergo on this podcast and all of the scholarly articles that have been written about the show. And he's suggesting that the jokes on us, a line from his write-up that stuck with me and caused me to reach out to you by text earlier today was, quote, the modern obsession with hidden meaning, as we know, is largely the result of Freud's work on the unconscious. So I'm interested in this notion of man's and woman's search for the hidden meaning of things. What say you? <laughs> I think when you really get into something and you really f- have a, an emotional connection, you try to find deeper meaning when there may not be one there. And I think I, I, I serve this as a credit to David Chase because what he does, he really, he really plays up ambiguity really well. We've talked about this, I think, on a few different episodes in the past. Um, I think most significantly in Nobody Knows Anything. Very apt title for that mm-hmm. thought. But he he plays around with things. We know later on there's, there's an entire um, episode that has absolutely no resolution. I don't think it's necessarily a fuck you to the audience. I think in some ways it shows some respect to the audience, saying that ambiguity is, is a good thing. But there's not necessarily meaning in everything. There's not meaning in everything in life. And art imitates life. And David Chase is saying, look, this this may mean something. This may mean absolutely nothing. I'm going to leave that up to you to determine. Sometimes he'll probably do that with some purpose. And sometimes it'll just be random. But I, I think when you get really into something, it's it makes it really easy to dissect. Sometimes you you try to look for something that maybe isn't there. Cue the Kleenex. <laughs> so, no, no, seriously. I mean, seriously. Like, I'm going to go I, kill I, myself now. At least partially the reason why we do this, why I even conceived of this idea and reached out to you guys and reached out to Naya is because I don't want the show to go away. So one way to exist with it in the present in 2018 is to find hidden meaning. And I feel like that's okay. Isn't that what people do? The religious texts have been written thousands and thousands of years ago, but people still to this day interpret them and apply them. And court cases, Supreme Court cases, 
written back in 1880s, Marbury versus Madison, people still find scintillas of interpretation yeah. in it today. So I don't think that this is any different. There's, there's a perfect example of, of this going on in this episode when they're doing yoga. Yeah. And I know that there was multiple, and this I think Soprano's autopsy touched on this as well. Um, they're doing yoga and they make that line about, okay, next we're going to do cobra position. And this is right, and then it just goes straight on to Richie. Is that just the next logical position that they were going to do because they were in downward facing dog and that's what you do? Or... Were they trying to say, okay, we're doing all of these snake metaphors with Janice in the past episode. Now we have Cobra, Cobra. and then Richie comes in. By the way, speaking of yoga classes, what not it funny how there's never any guys in the front of the yoga class? The guys are always in the back. Yeah. Can I say something? Yeah. Because I'm not saying that you're not 100% off, but as a person who does yoga not well i i go to the back just because i know that i'm not doing these things right very true and i just don't want to be like the laughing stock of the class you you want to mimic other people yeah but i mean it's it's two for one yeah. you know it's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely the the money ball yes. in the all-star game the three-point contest it's definitely the money ball i'd rather the guys just be in the back the ones that go in the front i'm like get out of here the guys that are in the front are trying to show off yes they're trying to be or they're yeah. just talking to me and i'm like i don't okay so the next topic is somewhat musical i guess the, the stuff before richie basically i'm just trying to get all the stuff out, out of the way before we start talking about richie the opening sequence, shout out to 90s hip-hop, first of all. Um, Jaw Rules, Holla Holla is playing when yes. Tony pulls up. And then later on, TLC's No Scrubs with Meadow and Hunter. Also, Tony calls Hunter Janet Jackson when he pulls up. Um, and I was wondering if anybody knew, if anybody had any thoughts on Janet Jackson in general or the state of Janet Jackson's career at the time of airing. There was a re So they, were ref they referenced her January 30th, 2000. When did the Super Bowl snafu happen? After. After. Yeah. Okay. She had a hit song, though, in what the, was the what was What was going on with Janet Jackson? She had something with Busta Rhymes, like a, big, a really she big song. She had the song Doesn't Really Matter that was from the Nutty Professor movie in oh, the 2000s. Right. So okay. she was really relevant still. But I think she's just an iconic female artist. But also I thought it was interesting that it was Janet Jackson because she is a very female-empowered female. Like, she represents, like taking control of her own, I mean, her whole album control. He could control. have said anything to Hunter, but he said Janet Jackson. Yeah, I just thought it was, I mean, to me, I think David Chase leaves clues deliberately just to find, like, things to do with his time. So I think he goes back and forth with playing with us for fun. So, like, he could have chose Madonna or any, like, any other, but I don't know, Janet Jackson made perfect sense. You think his daughter, because that is his daughter mm -hmm. in real life, you think she was really into Janet Jackson and that was, like, a nod Probably. to her? Probably. I mean, they liked... TLC later, so yeah. I'm sure she listened to Jimmy I, Jackson. I had a different take on it. I've always thought that the one, I'd say maybe not issue with the writing, but just not entirely accurate depiction of society that, that they do in The Sopranos is when they focus on the kids. When they try to say, okay, this is what it's like to be a teenager in the 2000s. I don't think David Chase or maybe his writers had the insight of what it's like to grow up in that time where I think relatively we're all close 
you know enough enough in age yeah, to I'm the old to, bastard. to know well to know what it's like to grow up in the the 90s and the 2000s as a teenager and they have like a guy getting wheeled off ODing on ecstasy and special K and I I think that they're just trying to like make a point that this is just what happens when you take these kinds of drugs and you go to these type of parties and in high school it's just everywhere and I think that they're a little out of touch so maybe David Chase or whatever writer just was like oh Janet Jackson's like a female singer let's just have that be the line maybe another part where we're trying to take too much meaning out of what he calls her yeah how do you feel about Janet Jackson were you a fan I love Janet Jackson lover lover favorite song on the spot? Favorite I cover album? Janet Jackson. I Get So Lonely. It's my favorite. Okay. Um, so everybody's pro Janet Jackson, right? There's no... Yes. Yeah, that's you're, that's you're, the way love goes. You're kind of shrugging. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's well, a nice. Whatever. Clutch. Yeah. Thank you. Now I get to drop that song. So in that same scene, Tony was friendly with the cop it's implied what's going on. Meadow drops a reference to it as well. Is the cop on the take or vice versa? Is he on Tony's payroll? To- like, what's happening there? I, I think it can be two things. It's either he's on the payroll or he owes Tony. You think it's tactical of the guys in the mob to, like, get policemen to come and play cards so that they can own, they can kind of own them indirectly? It's got to be like a, it's like fishing, right? That's mm-hmm. how they go fishing for cops. Bring them I'm in. Sure. I think there's always an opportunity for crime and law to mix. Yeah. I want to mention it because it is very momentary, but it is extremely crucial to their enterprise. Yeah. And it's yeah. taken for granted in the show, but how and when and where these relationships take place, where the Vin McKayseans of the world mature into these things that can kind of either make or break Tony, it's kind of fascinating. Well, you look at like the movie The Departed. Well, yeah. A great example of grooming them as a little child nice. to yes. then infiltrate the police force. And vice versa. Yeah. Departed is a great movie. And there's another scene on the Columbus Day episode, mm-hmm. fitting for today being Columbus Day, yeah. where they're having a protest and or protesting a protest. And one of the, the cops is like, hey, no Silvio on a first name basis and all the guys on first name basis. So I think there's definitely like some cahoots going on with the crew and law enforcement, at least on this low level. Yeah. Obviously not, not at the top. Not FBI level. Not on the federal level. Although it's not for want of trying. I'm sure they've tried. Um, Before I onslaught you guys with questions, I just want to get everybody's initial thoughts, comments, and observations on Richie April. He is one of my like top three favorite characters in the entire series. And, I just, I gravitate towards antagonists and I've been looking forward to this arrival of this character since we first started this podcast. Um, Just an impulsive, violent, callous, greedy narcissist and he plays such an amazing uh, villain to uh, Tony that we'll see for the foreseeable future. He's he's the first true villain of the show yeah you have junior who i don't consider a villain at all just someone with conflicting interests to tony livia is somewhat of a villain she's his mother she's his mother yeah this is the first direct guy he's there for you to hate him 
Yeah. Like in the most classic sense that there is. My initial thought on him is that he's the blueprint yeah. for all of the future villains in Tony's life or, or characters like Feech, Ralph, yeah. um, Phil even kind of. Yeah. So, all of, you can see a little bit of Richie in all of them in, in some way. Like real easy comparisons. So we're introduced to two new characters, Richie and Beansy. Richie's played by the actor David Proval. Mean Streets. Mean Streets. Yeah. Uh, Tony, Redemption. The West Wing, which John mentioned to me off mic. I think, you, John, you've got some other information on David Proval. Uh, yeah, he has a really eclectic uh, list of different screen titles, TV shows. Uh, he's done some plays as well. Um, I did a, a little bit of deep dive into some of the interviews about him and just as I mentioned how just lunatic and crazy and unforgiving the character is, the guy in real life is a real soft-spoken and mm -hmm. self-proclaimed uh, cream puff, which uh, was uh, ironically a, a nickname that he gave James Gandolfini uh, because he was the sweetest, softest guy he had said. And then uh, one of the interesting stories was that post-Sopranos, he uh, wanted to try out for a rabbi uh, character on West Wing. And um, he found out after the fact that the director had never seen Sopranos and eventually did, but had told him that it, if he had ever seen the Sopranos prior to his uh, casting thing, he would have never even met with him because... Uh -huh that character was was so polarizing that he couldn't imagine David Proval playing any other type of character. And it was just, it was interesting because this performance among all, and, and he even mentions that he gets most recognition on the street for being Richie, oh, yeah. apart from Mean Streets, but um, he just... Which is amazing. He's not Italian. Do you know yeah, that? Yeah, he's a he member of your tribe. My tribe. It's amazing because he looks so Italian and he's so convincing and Naya, you mentioned last week that they thought about him for the lead. Yeah, he read for Tony. They said they couldn't relate him to the average American man mm. as much as they could with Tony. Wow. He's easily the most frightening character I've seen on any TV show. Where does he rank as an all-time despicable character? Other shows, other movies that come to mind? I don't think he's such a villain. Don't? I don't know. I feel like what he's is just your a, take on him? I think he's an old-school mobster. He tries to do everything right, at least the beginning. And then it just isn't working for him. Was it right, though, he to go to Junior and say whatever you need, implying that I'll whack Tony? Well, he's just got out. He's been, he's like a little, he's, who's the boss? I don't know. This is all weird. He's still yeah. disoriented. Like, he's just, it's like when the other one comes out, the, uh, the, Feech? the yeah, like, they're, they're from another era. So, like, he's just a cold mobster, you know, and yeah. he, he goes to see his mom he is nice to ask about his sister. He just doesn't know the new rules. And then he just makes a couple too many mistakes and then has to figure out what to do to save his ass. And even just a nice guy trying to go to yoga and Yeah, yeah I don't get know. And even later tail. when something bad happens, he's like even says this is going to make set me back even more with Tony. Like he, he understands, he tries to understand. And even know. in this Tony makes it very clear this is the rule. Like don't cross it. I'd agree with you and give him, him a jacket, somewhat you know? of the benefit of the doubt. If he didn't in his first scene or like one of his first scenes just paralyze the guy for basically a reason that we yeah. have no idea about because he didn't come to your welcome home party. You yeah. paralyzed the guy. So 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot that of your boss. If you're an old school guy, True. if you can quote the rules, you can obey him. You know the scene at the end where he's like the camera like pulls back and you see him sitting, kind of looking at the back of the Bing right after he had the encounter with the stripper. He looks like a guy with an axe to grind because he doesn't like the current state of affairs and he wants his piece of flesh and he wants to get paid. And I just feel like it's, I, I can't think of, I, I see him as a villain because he's trying to disrupt the ecosystem that's now in play. But what blew me away about him is that he's been in the can for 10 years, right? This, I guess this goes to your point that he's an OG and he doesn't give a fuck. He's on parole. He's not a free man. He walks right into a place in broad daylight, not broad daylight, but on a well-lit public establishment and essentially puts himself right back in the can, but he's fearless. Just any reactions to that? Like, the, is that just the mindset? Like, I don't care. That's his area. Nobody's going to talk. I don't think he has any concerns about Even though he's been out for 10 he's years. He's got 10 years thinking about this. It's built up. Like, I know I can build myself up to think something's way bigger of a deal than it is. Like, one rumor about me, and then all of a sudden it's like, it's all I can think about. And if I have nothing to do for 10 years, I'm going to, my vendetta is going on this one person. It's the first thing I'm going to do when I get out. Like, it's ridiculous, but it makes sense. How does, does parole differ based off of the crime? And obviously we don't know whether he was in, like, a federal prison or, or where he was or what crime he committed to go there, but... Are the the laws for parole and what you have to do different depending on the, the crime that you had? It's negotiated. It's negotiated. Terms of parole. The everybody has I would hope so. Everybody has their terms of parole. I guess my, and, my question and there's no strikes. Sure. It's not like a three strike thing. If they if you if you mess up, you're you're right yeah. back in. My question is is there a time where it's like uh, local maybe not local but like a, a police officer, or is it like the FBI is the one? Because I think obviously if it's a federal uh, parole officer or however that works, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any pull. But like we said, there's, there's cops on the take. Yeah. Do they Asking have for a friend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, I guess part of it is me projecting myself onto him. Mm -hmm. If I got out of jail, I'd be really careful. <laughs> yeah. I'd go home and like play Xbox or something, you know, like I wouldn't want to be on the radar. But the thing that, I don't know if there's anything to this, but what do you guys think? Uh, Adriana's driving him. We learned that Adriana's his, his That's niece. a weird thing, too. Um, and he's like, You sure you're going to be all right, Uncle Rich? I want to walk. See if I run into any of the old crowd. Thanks, Dom. What's that all about? I think he's just been in, in jail. He's probably not, doesn't get much outside walking time. Yeah, he I just find wanted it, to cruise, yeah, see the old neighborhood. walk around the, whole, the yeah. old neighborhood, see some old friends, break some uh, <laughs> some coffee cups. I yeah. found it ironic that he said he wanted to walk, which suggests easing into things, like crawl, walk, run. But in effect, he sprints right back into old form. By he even chases Beansy. Yeah. By destroying Beansy. Yeah, so let's talk about Beansy real quick. The actor that plays Beansy is Paul Herman. I was arguing with John before you guys got here that he has a much more impressive filmography than David Proval. He's been in Once Upon a Time in America, and this is just wow. a this is just a, a, a this is just a Great snapshot movie. of his filmography. But Once Upon a Time in America, We Own the Night, Heat, wow. Crazy Heart, Sleepers, Copland, Silver Linings Playbook, and American Hustle. That's just to name a few. Like I said, he was also Vince Chase's accountant in Entourage. Let's not forget the caricature artist in Little Fockers. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys seen Sleepers, by the way? That's a good one. That's a low-key great movie. 
That's a revenge movie. If there yeah. was, what is that? Is that a horror it's, movie? It's or? A, you know, it's a Robert De Niro, you know, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt. Um, it's about boys at a boarding school that get abused, and oh, Robert De Niro's their is priest. Is Kevin Bacon in that? Yes, mm-hmm. I've seen that. That's, he's, that's a weird one. He's the bad guy in it, John. and it's a, and Dustin Hoffman's mm-hmm. in it, and it's a movie Damn. about them getting like it's a weird it's a movie. good cast. It's a low key good movie. It's like yeah, I don't it's know. It's a dark movie. Though. It's dark. It's dark. It's very long. It's three hours. Wow. Um, anyway, he was in it, and then also Heat. Um, there's a reference before I hit you with some questions. Richie mentions to Tony like he, that he helped him when he was younger. Well, I'm the guy who saved you from the hit parade. When? When did you ever step in for me? You forget? When you and my kid brother stuck up Feature Lamont's card game? Feature was made before the electric light. If it wasn't for me, you two kids would have caught a vicious beating, to say the least. Richie. He mentions Feach Lamana, who was once a capo in the family, and he mentions a robbery that takes place mm-hmm. that Tony Tony robs Feach's card game. Mm-hmm. And um, it's mentioned now, but it'll actually become, it'll get fleshed out a little bit more as the season progresses. So um, just a little nugget they placed. It's something that if you've watched it for the first time, you don't know what they're talking about, but it's very it relevant a problem for a lot of people. to a lot of things that we're yeah. going to get into. It's an exciting forward. moment for some of it that is rewatching the show because mm-hmm. I didn't particularly remember the well, reference connected and, the pussy. and to hear it, you go, Oh my gosh. And it yeah. takes you forward. It takes you forward. Do you think that, I mean, they just, this was a throwaway line in this moment that they revisited later or did they have like this whole backstory already planned and decided, okay, now we're finally going to bring this feature guy in. Like I always wondered how that, that works in the creative process. I want to believe that it's all <laughs> needles threading, but after that, that Anthony guy, <laughs> that's completely poo-pooed our whole project here. And it's like, we're all a bunch of fucking idiots talking about a show where David Chase is having the last laugh. Maybe, maybe not. But I do think that they knew who these characters were and they pretty much have it whiteboarded. Everybody I whiteboards. Agree. I mean, I whiteboard for the podcast that we produce. Mm. So this is a fucking HBO production. They're whiteboarding it. Yeah. Like, okay, who's this guy and who's connected to him? Yeah. Who's this? They're doing, they're doing their so org charts. So talking about charts and connections, Richie and Adriana, how does that work? So He's then, her uncle? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't come you back into to a great question. Yeah, that doesn't come back into play later on when we meet more m- members of Adriana's of family. Adriana's family and Jackie's family. You would have thought that they would have mentioned Adriana being related to Jackie Senior. Exactly. That's, Jackie, that's my point. Jackie Senior would be Jackie April would have been her uncle too. And we know that they use these uh, relative terms. Yeah, like um, uncle pussy. Really loosely. Yeah. Right. Right. Even in the Indian community. Everybody's an I think, uncle. Yeah, Every yeah. guy's an uncle, and every woman is an auntie. We go even further back into this Sopranos universe, and I think about um, the many saints of Newark. Like, how cool is a younger Richie going to be? Oh. As the older, the you know Tony's best friend's older Richie. brother. I heard Johnny Depp was playing him, but I <laughs> lately feel like I just make things up. So. <laughs> go with that. Go with that. Channel that. Channel that. I so have I, the guy who that you, played. Who it. you got for Richie? I don't want that. I got one. I got a good one. But go ahead. Who you got for Richie? I don't have one, but I want to just make a comment on what Nia just said about Johnny Depp. So we did a meme, uh, I think it was like a year ago, and it was just Johnny Depp wearing a jacket, and we were saying (laughs) that Johnny Depp was playing a young Rocco DeMeo, who Richie will bring up later on in the season. Blow. So I'm thinking maybe that's that's how we got that. Maybe that's how we planted it. He wears that leather jacket. He wears the same leather jacket. It's a very similar one to what Richie gives to Tony later in Blow. 
uh, not below in um, Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco. That's where we took the photo. That's from. a low key great movie too. Yes. That's an awful movie. My really? guy is. Uh, Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Rewind. Wait. Donnie Brasco. Why no, is that awful not movie? that one? The one that he's in later as a mobster. Oh, not the Donnie Boston. Oh, the Boston. Yeah, that was like some writer yeah, quit oh, midway. Man. No, Donnie Brasco's forget about it. That's good. Hold yeah. your money. Forget about it. Hey, can I ask you something? Wow. What's forget about it? What is that? Forget about it. It's like uh, if you agree with someone, you know, like Raquel Welch is one great piece of ass. Forget about it. But then, if you disagree, like a Lincoln is better than a Cadillac, forget about it. You know, but then it's also like if something is the greatest thing in the world, like Mingiro's peppers, forget about it. You know, <laughs> but it's also like saying go to hell too. Like you know, like uh, hey, Bully, you got a one-inch pecker, and Bully says forget about it. Forget about it, Bully. Forget about it. <laughs> Sometimes it just means uh, forget about it. I it. thought you were you meant the new one he's in that was just not good. I don't new Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp died uh, with Blow for me. All right, I'm not a big Johnny Depp guy. I loved Blow, but I'm not Edward Scissorhands. That was good, but we're talking decades ago. Sure, Hollow. sure. But if we're focusing on who's playing Richie, Richie, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård. He's Ugh. the guy that played it. You oh, Bill Skarsgård. Yes, oh, yeah. so? you're yeah. so you think he's Stellan pretty Skarsgård? blue eye. Is I've, Richie blue eyes? Look at that. Look at that face. Bill Skarsgård is Swedish. I have a crush on him. I like him a lot. If you're listening, Bill. James Franco. Who's the French guy that was in Lady Bird? Timothy Chalamet. That's my Richie. He's too young. Someone a little tougher. Come on, man. Hey, man. He got range. He's beautiful. Oscar Oscar nominee. Giovanni Ribisi could be a good Richie. We should post some of these and have the fans vote. Yeah. What about someone like Oscar Isaac? Could he play someone? Oh, wow. That's a good you just, one. You just changed the game, Naya. If he doesn't get an opportunity for uh, many saints, it's criminal. I'd even see like Sasha Baron Cohen. I'd love to see him in a dramatic He's role. He's amazing. He's a little tall. Oh, la, la. Oh, well. King in the castle. King in the castle. I have a chair. I have a chair. Oh, go do this. Go do this. King in the castle. To segue back to your mention of Adriana being Richie's niece, how did Richie know that Chris hit Adriana, assuming he does? Did Adriana straight up tell him that? Like, is that something that you would tell your uncle, that my boyfriend is hitting me, especially in that world? I think based on what we know of Adriana and also that we do know they have relationship problems, we saw him hit her in, the, in like the last episode, I think. I think if you're awkwardly making small talk with your uncle who hasn't, you haven't seen in 10 years, random shit is going to come out somehow. And also Italian families gossip. So we know Adriana's close with her mom later that it could be, could have been mentioned somehow. And also I think it's really funny that we learned what kind of man Richie is, even though he says you don't raise your hands to women. I thought it was interesting that they made such a big deal that he knew this and he had such a problem with it because later we find out he's not sticking well, true to his word and shit. But point. what's what's the caveat? So everybody's a hypocrite. What's the caveat yeah. to hitting a woman though? You have to put a ring on it, which true. Later very, on, oh, one day wow, in too. Well, well put. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Mike drops that. all over the place today. Damn. Me and John are ducking you too. I think she <laughs> just slinging Mike's left I and think right. she. I think she told him though. Yeah, I think she, she told yeah. him. You know what? Well, look, she's smoking and complaining. It just came out. Later on, we're gonna meet a girl named Danielle. 
within two minutes of their shopping, she's giving her life story to a person who she's never met before. So she's going to tell her uncle. And if you grew up in an Italian family, not saying all Italian families, there is some physical stuff that you get hit. It happens. It's part of it. So in that same scene, Richie, is he's there for a sit-down. He wants to talk to Tony. He's trying to basically assert himself, right? You're going to get mm-hmm. his, trying to get his income streams going back the way they used to be going. But Richie can't, as we learn, Richie can't talk to Tony about business at Satriel's. And my question for you guys and the listeners is, when did that rule come down in the first place? And I just want to point out that it fits nicely with my theory that the whole place is bugged and that Tony, at least if he's not on, if he doesn't know that it's bugged, he at least suspects that it is. Any thoughts on, on this whole notion of you can't talk directly to Tony? When did it came down? When were these wheels put in motion? I'm assuming just sometime that we weren't watching When the he show. became the boss? Yeah. I mean, uh, just remember Goodfellas when they talk about how you can never talk to the boss directly. Exactly. It's just, it's the rule. To your, to your point, I think it's l- maybe less about Satriales. I think that's just probably another, like, subsection of, of a particular rule. But I think it's really just about keeping a couple of degrees of separation Um between Tony and anybody else. And he's probably getting his his news directly from Silvio. This yeah. is off the heels of finding out that Green Grove was exactly. bugged mm-hmm. when they thought it wouldn't be. Or there's also mention about using the doctor's office as a place that they can keep all of their business without fear of being bugged. Yeah, with, with a couple of exceptions, this is the one area I think Tony excels at the most is being... Uh, cautious like right rightfully so he he makes sure that he's never talking about the wrong thing from the wrong person even people that you know are definitely not wired for sound he's still you know is is overly cautious on his paranoia is actually an asset yeah um richie calls beansy a civilian and i'm just kind of generally curious about the relationship between the mob Mm-hmm. And civilians. Any thoughts, any comments on that? One aspect of it is this idea that the, the mob uses the civilians for money laundering. I think you're I think you you put it pretty well. Uh it's a place for Tony to to launder money to to clean his money up. Um I think Beansy is still the owner, but yeah. you know, we know who probably not everyone can be in the mob. I mean you find yeah. out Pesh isn't in the mob, but he's still involved True. in a number of their dealings. So it's just an valued asset you'll see throughout the show the these types of characters become victims when two different opposing mafia members have either a conflict between that one person or both of them are owed money Um, it's just the intersection of crime in the regular world it's sad to see what happens to the civilians though because even when you meet beansy he saw like what can i get you like it's very much how I feel the mob well, manipulates ahead, to make you feel that well, way. And then it all comes crashing down for him. I'm taking a step back just, yeah. just to add one more piece to this. Um, w- this is goes straight back to Donnie Brasco. When you're talking about somebody who's, who's made and who's in where you can discuss business in front of, you say a mm-hmm. friend of ours. He's a friend of all of the made guys. If you say he's a friend of mine, specific words are used. A friend of mine means this guy is a civilian. He's a personal friend of mine. Business should not be talked in front. And I think that's where Beansy probably kind of fits in a little bit more. So he's still a, a civilian, although he's useful and a friend to Tony. Um, that's why he 
gets quote unquote protection. Well, he pushed a lot of H or moved a lot of H for Richie and his brother. And that's why he thought he got He makes himself. mention too that, uh, you know, don't be mad because I'm the one that invested some of that money and yeah. you did with whatever. That's where I was going with it. I'm gathering, yeah, he probably invested some money so that he could have a legitimate business and be somewhat of a, you know, a normal citizen. And Tony is using that to his advantage once again. But is the mafioso so sophisticated that they want to trace the money? Like our common pool of money that we are sharing with, if you go invest that money someplace else, I get to take from that pie too. That was the sense that I got because Richie, because when Richie walks into the pizzeria, he goes, oh, fuck. Like he's mad there's a pizzeria. And where I'm going with this, I, the I needle that I'm trying to thread yeah. is that he's realizing that this guy took the money from our initial little pool and mm -hmm. he went and opened himself up a pizzeria. I want my pound of flesh. Maybe that's the disconnect between Tony and Richie is Richie looks at this as another guy to trap into his web and make it so you are subordinate to me. You do what I say. What What's yours is mine and I'm going to shake you down. Whereas Tony is probably from a little bit of the newer generation. He's like, you know what? Let me use this guy. I'm not going to own this pizza store. I'm not going to come shake him down, but I am going to use him to my advantage and just use it as money laundering. You just segued me beautifully. Richie says to Tony, What's mine is not yours to give me. Hey, Prick, you reached out to me. I said what I wanted to say. First of all, fucking powerful line okay i've never heard any i've never heard that said anywhere before like like that um the balls to say that to tony and do you think tony's response was appropriate my reaction was like why didn't tony just fuck him up right there and again you're gonna tell me it's because he can't hit a captain but well i think there's fucking somebody up and then there's making sure they know that they're not supposed to talk to you that way and you can still get one point across going back to our parenting discipline conversation mm. um there's probably other routes maybe taking away richie's wi-fi won't cut it but he could still you know Smack give him, him a talking to so that was the first offense right then tony's guy tony's civilian richie runs him over when he doesn't collect whatever Twice. dowry i don't even know if that's the right word but whatever monies he feels he was owed he runs over him twice, and then it, well, it cuts to Meadow singing No Scrubs. Thoughts if you guys on the segue, if you guys have any. But do you think that Tony let Richie off easy after what he did to Beansy? Like, it's putting one of his guys out of action. Like, how many buttons I, do you get a push yeah, before? I, I agree with you on that, that I'm surprised that there wasn't any reaction to that or responsibility that Richie had to kind of feel yeah. uh, or take ownership of through Tony. But at the same time, I think that's part of the rule book is if you're a made guy, you can do what you want to civilians. Um, I think the, the sin in this was that he just disobeyed Tony. That's the real problem is not that he did this to Beansy. It's that Tony told him specifically not to, and he still did. But yeah, I, I kind of was hoping that, that Tony would do something to take up for his, his friend, especially after you know, I think he, I think it was a, a heartfelt meeting. And when um, Beansy's wife was kind of chastising Tony for not protecting him, I think he he felt that and he took it to heart. So I was even more surprised that nothing ever came about that. After he blew his nose for him? Yeah. I know. Not his ass, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, I totally agree. But it, to me, it's like a respect thing, you know, like Junior and, and Richie, 
make fun at Tony because they still view him as a kid, you know, but Tony also views them as the old school, like they respect these big, amazing old school mobsters, but they don't really know how to acclimate them back into the new, like, how do we do this all together? And that's where, you know, he can say these things and Tony doesn't really even know, he doesn't reprimand him yet because he's still like, all right, you're, you're, you're Richie Aprile, we get it, like, I'll give you a couple passes because you're the old guy that's just coming back into the mix, but he has to make it very clear after he does disobey, which I think he cares more about than Well, let's Beansy. not forget that he went there to have his own old school approach and wanted to make sure that Beansy wasn't going to rat. He makes the True. reference to, you know, we take care of our own dirty laundry and... Tony says that yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he's just as old school and, like you say, respectful. He He doesn't know what to do. It's interesting because he doesn't know what to do with Meadow and he doesn't know what to do with Richie all in the same breath. Like he doesn't know he, what to do with Janice either. Yeah, he's got a lot of problems on his hands on every front. Let me throw this back at you. So without spoiling um, what happens in the future, do you think what inevitably happens to Feech, I mean, they, you know, what inevitably happens is basically Tony realizing that I should have done this with Richie mm-hmm. and it, it kind of moved Feech along back down that path because what I'm thinking in my head is that. I've, I already I know what's going to happen in the future and I'm like, this guy's just causing problems for you. Things have just settled down with the FBI. Put this guy back in the can. He's not, he's, he's not working out. Like, do you think that's the two are related? To Yes, okay. I do. Learning from your mistakes, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see in a in the the night in white satin armor episode that when things happen for Tony, when he doesn't expect them to happen, like when he puts the wheels in motion, but something else happens for him, that expression on his face is like seared in my brain. And the so many of the catalysts are from family members. That's why I always find so interesting. Yeah. They're always, yeah, facilitated by someone that's close. So Jan and Jan, like as if Jan and I are on a first fucking name basis, Pav, right? Pav. Janice and Richie sit down. Richie, we we learned that Richie and Janice were a thing back in the day. She mentions the term. She says the word decompensate to Richie. You and I weren't good for each other 20 years ago. What makes you think it's going to be any different now? Let's get to the point. Richie, after all I put into getting to where I am, it'd be ridiculous to decompensate now. I, I am so not that person anymore. I've never heard that before this show. What does that mean? I I never heard this word either. No. <clears throat> I mean No DSM. <laughs> I don't may, and it, maybe yeah. maybe there is. Maybe I'm just ignorant to it. Yeah. But I'm just going to guess what she's trying to say is he's compensating, but he's doing it in sort of a retro negative way that she just threw the the prefix d in front of it <laughs> to decompensate. Old flames reuniting. Does it ever work out? No. I think We'll we'll see. No, no, forget about them. But like in general, that whole this this whole motif of like, let's get back together again. I don't probably I, a reason why it didn't work out for. And I'm speaking generally. Yeah. Who hurt you, Justin? <laughs> oh, let's shut not her get out. Into shut it. her out. You just know when you're watching the scene, you just feel like this is not going in the right direction. Yeah. It's not going to decompensate. End well. Means though something that's been working and then stops working. Yeah. So like what's been working for them is them not be together. So what? Let's not decompensate and try to make things gotcha. change. If it's been working this way, See, which Jan, I think Jan is knows more than us, which I think is interesting because She's Janice deep. is coming back into the family to help, like take care of, and she's basically decompensating the situation between Olivia and Tony. And she's ruining shit that's been working. Yeah, so to speak. she's decompensating, yeah. but she told Rich. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
Oh, hypocrites. So we ranked Richie as an all-time despicable character. Naya doesn't think he's despicable. Um, he's hateable. Hateable. I, I feel like we can comfortably leave Richie for now, unless you guys have anything else. I don't think you can get away with uh, this question that you asked about the cut from uh, Beansy, and then it cuts to Meadow and Hunter singing oh, No yeah. Scrubs. So what was going on there? He runs over Beansy, and then it cuts to No Scrubs. Artistically, what's what's happening there? Why are they going from that to that? I don't see any correlation. He's, I don't either. He's not hanging not on the side to... of his best friend's ride. He's in the driver's seat, and he's putting it in drive. Well, that's Richie. And I'm not even trying to reach this. I'm just genuinely asking, like, what's like, what was the segue? I mean, to me, David Chase loves to do, like, an innocent, cheeky cut sometimes a lot, a lot with, like, the strippers. He'll do that. To lighten the mood. To, yeah. He'll yeah. go from, like, daughters to strippers or r- roommates. But for me, this cut didn't really make sense. But if I tried to reach for it, it did to me because most of this episode, like, the reason why I thought it was called Toodaloo instead of, like, ego and control is because there's this weird women not to be the lady here, but there's this weird like self-female empowerment thread that kind of goes in with doing the right thing, making the right decisions, Janice trying to figure out what's best for her, Carmela trying to figure out how to raise Meadow, Meadow trying to do what's right and wrong, and even Dr. Melfi trying to figure out if she made the right choice. And she's mad that she's regressed to be a young girl. So for me, you know, it, it cuts to Meadow talking and compensating that she's an adult. Why aren't they treating us like adults? Well, they're making a horrible mess in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like bad decisions. That was over the top. It was a dramatic cut, but it's like Richie making a shitty decision and then back to the other half of the narrative for me of the women thinking that they know what to do and they don't. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think yeah. it was... David Chase does that a lot. He shows something really gruesome and violent, and then he cuts it with something to something naive and like, like yeah. she's like, "Why don't they trust us?" And No Scrubs is the whole song about female empowerment. Yeah, so I was like, okay. Next topic is uh, Melfi, and essentially Elliot. We're introduced, and I real quickly, it's the actor is Peter Bogdanovich who plays Elliot. He's a director, a writer, yeah. an actor, a producer, a critic, and a Jesus. film historian. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the early interviews of the show. When John and I first met, he he's interviewing David Chase. He's just kind of like an insider. Yeah, he's not really an actor, but he's just sort of there. Um, People should look that up on YouTube. It's, it's, it's a great interview. It's really good. It's a great interview. Yeah. First, tongue in cheek. What was up with the water bottle? I hate the water bottle. Yeah. Very distracting. Yeah. I never noticed it until oh my you. God. Yeah. Well, I and apparently, more, it's yeah. a reoccurring character. Yeah, oh, yeah. I have more of an it's impression re- on that than him. The way that he drinks it, you it's, hear the you water hear bottle really isn't like a mesh. It's, really it's just the nerdiest. <laughs> lamest, most vanilla thing ever. It's in like a canteen mesh. It's just, ugh. I'm bringing my coolest water bottle next week. That's why John ugh. doesn't notice it because he is that water bottle. He has with it. Every yeah. guy. Hey, there's a type. It's, a, <laughs> it's it a type. Very distracting, but what is it saying? That he's a loser. It would have been okay. a swell bottle if, uh, if it was around this time. Yeah. Yeah. Or Camelback. Mm. Um, a memorable line from the, Mel- from the saying. Melfi portion of the show <laughs> is when she's in the restaurant, but right before she says toodle fucking ooh, is Polly and how he repeats his jokes. Yeah. Hey, I remember every blowjob I ever got. How about you? It might be your first blowjob. Yeah, of course. How long did it take for the guy to come? <laughs> you hear that? I said, you remember your first blowjob? He said, yeah. I said, how long did it take for the guy to come? <laughs> 
why does Tony humor that? Why doesn't Tony just say, I heard you the first time, shut the fuck up. Everyone, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't do it a Because Tony was already series. annoyed. No, that was actually before. Well, he was annoyed with just like the, Getting the questioning yeah. of yeah. it because obviously he doesn't want to keep talking about this woman who's, uh, who almost caused his early retirement, let's say. Yeah. Um, but he, I don't think he, he cares at that moment. I think everyone's kind of laughing. Polly cuts the tension. In that in that particular scene, he's cutting the tension. I love it. Those those are the times oh. that make you love Paul. Johnny Sack even had a good laugh at that table. Yeah, his chuckle. Yeah, Melfi's dream. Please discuss. She journals it. Discuss that. Wizard of Oz is playing. Discuss that. Go. I went way too deep on this. Do it, please. Um, so the connection I made. Melfi writes about Wizard of Oz. And the song where Tony's driving in her dream is in the poppy field mm-hmm. scene uh, for Wizard of Oz. And, like, poppy fields are just one of the many obstacles along the yellow brick road. But um, looking at the Wizard of Oz with, like, a wide-angle lens, the yellow brick road embodies this, like, arduous, obstacle-filled and bumpy road in one's goals. And it just got me thinking with the whole... They're all braving the road to reach their respective goals. Courage for the cowardly lion, heart for the tin man, brain for the scarecrow, home for Dorothy. Where's Tony's yellow brick road? And this this whole, even poppy fields are just one of the many, oh no, the civilizations have used poppies to represent sleep and peace and the death throughout history. And then it got me into like Marx talking about the opium of the people and then I just, I shut you're, down. You're, you're quickly, you're quickly, you're saying this quickly as if it's bothersome to me. We could make this a three-hour podcast <laughs> it, and talk about uh, Marx. You're forgetting your audience here. That's okay? true, but <laughs> no, it just left me with so many questions because a lot of times you're take a look at this. Just took me down this spiral of was there so much deliberate meaning to this song because it referenced this movie and that movie has so much reference and it just brings you into so many facets of art and film and literature. It's just, it's what heavy. Is, what is Tony's Yellow Brick Road, you guys? Well. Melfi. Wouldn't she be his Oz? His Oracle. Yeah. Like her, I think her, it's happiness. She would be his home. Because the Wizard of Oz is all basically about a young girl who wants to grow up and be an adult woman, right? But she realizes there's no place like home. But on the journey, she grows up, correct? And she meets new people. So to me, it's like a metaphor of that too. Of and the like, thing you think, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, in Oz, what you imagine is not always perception is not always reality. Oz is just some douchebag with like puppets, string puppets in a in a room, right? There is no she magical. Could, yeah, she could have gone home anytime she wanted. It was always within her. Have you guys heard of the book The Alchemist? No. Yes, but I haven't read it. I feel like it's a very creative, like, artist's... I feel like people yeah, in your circle... Yeah, they've suggested it. I'm just like... Mmm. So it's all about f- this guy who's on a journey trying to find his personal legend. It's how it's defined. The word P is capitalized and the word L is capitalized. It's like a proper noun. And the whole point of the book is he's going through the deserts in Egypt. He's going through crossing oceans and climbing across icebergs. And at the end of the day, he gets to the Oz... And it is discovered or determined that the answer to all of the questions that he was seeking is actually under the rug in the house that he left 
to go on this huge long journey. But to be able to get to that realization that the answer to what you're looking for is you're sitting right on top of it, you have to go through the journey and you have to walk down the yellow brick road and you have to meet all of these new people that will shape and change your life. But at the end of the day, if you go far enough on this journey, you'll reach, you'll find out that the answer was right there next to you the whole time. And that makes sense why Dr. Melfi had the dream because in that he asked who, who would, you know, your patient be? And she says he'd be Oz. So to me, it's like she is Dorothy trying to figure out if she's making the right decisions and seeing what she's supposed to do. Even though you can transfer Tony being the one that is on the journey too, like everyone's trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. But that truck really hit him hard. That was interesting. Heavy shit. Yeah. It's funny that scene, just the dynamic between Elliot and Dr. Melfi, where, and and I've just found this from watching the series multiple times and seeing, seeing them uh, play this whole scene over and over again. She's just a lot smarter than him. And there's yeah. a really funny part where yeah. he's trying to analyze her dream. And then she's like, oh, you're almost there. Right. Here's what's really going on. And and just just as somebody who, you know, studied this, like I, I know she she is really good and he is not not so much. I think he breaks a lot of like there's a scene where he breaks like confidentiality by telling his daughter some stuff. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm not a huge fan of. That's my thing with therapy actually yeah. is that, and I'm a proponent of it, mm -hmm. but I resist it because I want to be able to speak to somebody whom I respect. Like sure. I want the person to be either, well, I want the person to be fucking way smarter than me. Basically sure. I want a Melfi and the few that I've been to, the reason that I stopped was because I was like, you don't know shit. Yeah. Is that is that a problem? Yeah, it's a big problem. It's why there's so much turnover um, with people. It's you. That's why I think through probably our first couple of episodes, I've mentioned this ad nauseum is the client therapist relationship is is the most important part. It's not necessarily like what what theoretical orientation they are, what perspective they have of the world. It's really just like, can you establish a connection to where the client can feel comfortable enough saying anything? And sometimes that connection can be established based off of the intelligence of the therapist, which in your case, you're, you're looking for somebody who's smart, who you at least can perceive to know some of the answers. Um, who can own my problem. Exactly. Whereas and Tony... deconstruct my problem. Tony is the and same. to it. I think Tony probably shares that sentiment, but he also wants somebody who has some shared cultural history with him yeah. that can understand. And that's why but he picked he, the Paisan instead of a bunch of Jewish-sounding last names. Right. But he married up in terms of therapists. He got someone who's way fucking smarter than him. And so that's why it works. Yeah. Is because when we talked about this since the beginning, he takes what she says and he uses it. Yes. Yeah. He dispenses the wisdom. You know, yeah. like a like an apostle. Misnomers aplenty. <laughs> right. But he still does it. Elliot's not wrong. It's just, you know, the women perspective, I think he missed completely. You know, he's like, those child, natural childhood. Like, he's very, it makes sense what he's saying. I just think if he was a smarter therapist, he would have known Melfi's kind of attachment to this more. So he would have been able to read into, like, oh, you're just embarrassed that you said toodaloo. Like, it's a f natural form of goodbye, but he, he missed why she's upset by it. You and hit if, on a really interesting point. The men in her life 
trivialize her. Yeah, for sure. Her husband. Remember the dinner she had in season one? Everybody just makes her feel, they trivialize her, but Tony doesn't. He puts her up. I don't know if he there's puts anything her up on there. A pedestal. Yeah, he respects her. Yeah. He doesn't show. I mean, he shows it by his actions, not necessarily his words. But I think that's part of maybe why she gravitates towards him when hmm. he has that. When he has. When he gets shot, they're in the car together, and he's totally vulnerable to her. He's probably the only person, or she's probably the only person that he's actually truly vulnerable to. Absolutely. And he validates her, but the other men don't. Elliot does not. Elliot thinks. We're not equal. He thinks he's above her. Yeah. That's why he's, and that's what one of my questions is, and it made me reach out to you guys late in the game, is is the Elliot scene with Melfi, basically David Chase saying, look at all these people fucking analyzing back and forth. This is all a big fucking joke on you. Um, I would argue that the Elliot scene kind of validates that because he's basically saying, look, he's putting a pretentious bullshitter yeah. in front of Melfi saying, hey, look. And Melfi's like screaming, you know, in the ocean. Mm-hmm. She's like drowning in the water. Does um, she, I'm not, not that I would just want to argue to argue, but I don't feel the same way. I mean, maybe if we didn't see her speaking with Elliot for the rest of the series, I'd think, okay, maybe this wasn't the right therapist for her. But this is also therapy for a therapist, which yeah, requires a whole different question. type of animal. And maybe the best therapist for her is someone that pokes her in a way where she can discover her own answers. Because he he does seem a little malice in some of the things he says, but it brings out her own understanding. And if that's her method of working through her problems is having someone help her help herself. That's what all therapy is supposed to be. Well said. Well Um, said. And we see later on in the series, Carmela actually will go to a therapist once. And it's the person that Melfi insists is a mentor to her and that's the type of person that i would i would put in place if i was if i was to have melfi be challenged by somebody who i'm not going to use the word superior but Mm -hmm. is at least of the same sort of level of care that she's giving to tony and i i i and I know that this is just one meeting with this guy and the the water bottle was just a, a bad first impression <laughs> he puts on everyone. But I I, I don't think he, he ever reaches that level. And I, I'm not saying like he's an idiot and that's like that's not what therapy looks like because it is. But I, I he just always put me off a little bit. Like I think to your point, Vic, he's the type of person that I'd go in and be like, uh, I don't know if I'm feeling this guy. And yeah. but she chose him. Yeah. And she stuck with him, which is something that we'll evaluate as the series okay. goes on. Yeah. Um, Janice, we good for Janice? Okay, so a couple of memorable lines, first and foremost. She says, shoot your best shot to Livia. The only reason I mention it is because she takes care of the NBA reference for this episode. Um, well, I, what is that? I mean, is that just... It's just, just shoot that your best shot. Okay. Line, right? okay. And then um, the, I was satisfied. It satisfied okay. me. It was a yeah. reach, but he'll you're, take you're, it. You're kind of mad because I didn't let the Michael Jordan one go last week, but yeah, which was like a direct <laughs> hit you on the head. You reach, I teach. Yeah. Let's see what you can do now. Let's go, man. Don't smile, kid. How much you want? <laughs> All day. Oh, gotta stay down on I got that. You got what? That's a youngster for you. <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to come outside. Bet you won't score again. I won't score again? How you like that rainbow? We're not done. Excuse me. Had enough? Well, look here. Sucker. You reach, I teach. Oh. We'll see. Lesson just started. Come on. That's ugly. 
Could have done. You should have done. And then the Vishnu come lately, uh, where Tony says it to her. Tony? Now let's clear the air here. You come right into town like some Vishnu come lately trying to play the concerned daughter. Who the fuck are you kidding? You're just here to pick the friggin' bones. There's a lot I could say right now that I am not gonna say. A lot of bulls. Tony's lines that are going to be coming up with Janice are some of the best ever. You mentioned there's a Woody Guthrie reference coming up pretty soon. I'm surprised he knew who that god was, to be honest. That seemed like a, someone he wouldn't know. He did a semester and a half at Seton Hall. That's true. <laughs> but do you know who Vishnu is? Um, I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's one of the three gods. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. I looked this up. The other two are Brahma and Shiva. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. But this one (laughs) that he mentions is responsible for keeping the peace, upkeep, keeping things responsible for creation and upkeeping the destruction of the world, which is very much who Janice is. Like what she's trying to come in and like fix everything, but she's in she's ending up doing the opposite. It's like Vic in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm forty six years old. And who am I? Where am I going? The other line, the last line, is when uh, Tony wants to throw her out. Her sister was halfway out the door. You're the fool for her con. What is she going to do? Live in a motel which she can't afford? How about she goes back to wherever it was she was hiding for 20 years while I took care of our mother? I thought we weren't supposed to mention Grandma in this house. Fine. I'm not going to argue with you, Tony. If you want to leave, then you're going to have to tell her because I'm not. It's not Christian. Well, see, the shit works out. She's a Buddhist. Hello? Just witticisms on top of witticisms on top of witticisms. By the way, just for the record, my favorite Hindu god yes, is Ganesh. It. And we have a big statue of him in our house. And I'm actually not Hindu. Elephant, I'm, right? I'm, yeah, it's the elephant head. And he is the remover of obstacles. That's his sort of, that's why people have them in their house. And I've had this statue in my house since I was a child. Every house that I've lived in, it was my mother's. Mm. And every place we moved, she took it with us and it's a huge heavy if you guys ever come over and you see it it's like 50 pounds and it sits on our coffee table in our living room and I had it with me in college I had it with me in law school and it was in the closet kind of like it would be in like Livia's Green Grove because I didn't have room mm-hmm. for it um, and I was kind of embarrassed by it for a while but now since I've been a grown man with a family it is the remover of obstacles so he's my favorite Ganesh is someone I would love to have a beer with mm. alright Questions. What the fuck was Janice listening to in the car as she's pulling into the driveway? Did anybody find out the song? I shazammed it a few times in a row. It's Pharaoh Saunders, and it's um, Prince of Peace is the name of the song. And he was an American jazz saxophonist from the 1940s and is considered one of the pioneers of free jazz. Were you familiar with him before? No. I don't love free jazz. What is free jazz? Free jazz is basically the Buddhism of jazz, where it's like everything and any, anything. So there's no structure. It's like we all just have our instruments and just start playing. And it is there is some sense of listening to each other, but as someone who studied jazz, it can be very hard to listen to because it just sounds like everyone's playing their instrument and not listening. But <laughs> it's like supposed to be this very abstract, high elite type of jazz. It's a very, yeah, out jazz, free jazz. What genre of jazz is your go-to? I mean, I grew up singing standards, so I'm like a very Cole Porter American songbook. I studied some bebop, which is all the like bebop heads, which yeah. and some free jazz because more instrumentalists would rather play free jazz than like summertime. What's the difference <laughs> behind between a singer? Free jazz and avant-garde. 
I have no idea, honestly. Okay. Avant-garde, probably, there's there's still some sense of music on page. Free jazz is like... Anything goes. Yeah, and avant-garde is just the arrangement can be avant-garde. Janice has a Zuni saying. She mentions a Zuni saying, for every 20 things a kid does wrong, ignore 19. Any thoughts or analysis on that? I couldn't find any proof that that existed, that saying. So. John, do you know who the Zunis are? No. Do that you? was going to be my question. That was my question. Well, I, I took it as, and I morphed it into our own setting, and it's for every 20 reaches a Vic does, ignore 19. <laughs> <laughs> Words to live by. My friend actually in San Francisco, who I think I mentioned to you, who's like Sopranos nerd, he finally listened to the podcast, and he doesn't think anything's good. So to even get a backhanded compliment from him is something that's really amazing. And he gave me a backhanded compliment, which was like, the podcast is decent. <laughs> but he's like, you're so animated. Why are you so animated? And I said, I am who I am. This is a text uh-huh. exchange. I am who I am, but I'm fucking obsessed with the show. Yeah. And he's like, but you, you, you're picking up grains of sand. And I said, yeah, I'm picking up grains of sand. But that, the rest of the crew, they keep me honest by mostly just telling me that I'm crazy. And then he's like, <laughs> so oh, yeah, I, li- I, I listen to it more and I see that. Okay, so it's okay. They're like a neutralizing force on you. But I said, no, we all equally are obsessed with the show mm-hmm. just in different ways. And I think it's safe to say that what we talked about at the beginning, I don't want it to go away. So I'm going to just keep finding hidden meanings and things because it's a religious experience for me. Watching the show, still to this day, watching this episode in particular was a religious fucking experience. Just the cover art on the HBO Go where it's just Richie's face, arms folded, got me really excited to, yeah, to do this one. This well, is an amazing episode. And if your friend's listening, you're, the way that you look at the show is contagious and we appreciate yeah. it. And you have infected us with your, your reach. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, We learn Janice has a son. Harpo is subtly mentioned when Janice is talking to Carmela. He now goes by Hal. Any thoughts on Janice being a mother and any thoughts on the irony of her son changing her name like she changed hers? I mean, that was that was a scene where they're talking in the bedroom doorway, correct? Mm -hmm. I it was just sad because basically Carmela's knocking on her other daughter's door to keep the music down in a way to me. Like Janice is living in her house basically as a daughter. Mm -hmm. So it was just you know, her trying to compensate and Carmela trying to be nice, asking about that. But, you know, actually, you could turn the music down. Like, just so, like, she didn't mean it to come off condescending, but it's like Janice has no motherly expertise on anything here. And it's just, you know, the it's only true. common thing is she cha- he changed his name like I did. Like, oh, I'm so proud of that. Like, what? Was she proud what? of it or was she sad? Yeah, I thought she was a little sad about it because she named him Harpo after, what was it, Harpo's song by... Uh, it wasn't Oprah's Doesn't she company? mention no. that at some point and she's like, he changed his name to Hal, like in a more sentimental way because she did that? Your read was that it was sentimental, which is interesting. But maybe she does it again later and I'm confusing the way she did it this time. Yeah, my read I know was she, she mentions was remorseful. It. Like she's like... I named him and he changed it. She was being a hypocrite because she changed. For sure. For, that, that was that I do was remember I there's one point where she's like proud of it, but it might not be this episode. Okay. Just because that's the only thing she has that's in common with her son. Another thing that I picked up on with, with her was that I noticed how little she wanted to talk about her kids, yeah. but how willing, ready, and able she was to like opine on Meadow. You would think that somebody who's had this sort of parental life 
of that doesn't exist would be a little bit more cautious stepping on somebody else's toes when they're they're trying to deal with sensitive issues with their kids. Not, Absolutely. Not when you're your house, your house exactly. though. Like that's where she's gonna live. Like she had all this guru information and then when she actually saw what Meadow did, she's like, Where am I fucking gonna live? This is because she was gonna move back yeah, in. Yeah, once right? it affected her, I mean yeah. we know she's selfish. Totally. And like yeah. the first meeting that we have with her. Mother, I love that she was so excited Christ. by her disability check, which was like, it's, see, I couldn't read the actual amount I tried to. It, whatever it was, it was it nominal at best. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I got some miscellaneous questions for you guys and then we can do last call. The final scene kind of threw me. I wasn't, I, I don't know what I make of this. And the low hanging fruit is that it's no scrubs, blah, 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 sure. meadow scrubbing. But what prompted her to all of a sudden just clean the house? I missed that. Where was the connection so, so the entire time she keeps saying it's not my fault and she doesn't accept responsibility. It's Steve invited his asshole friend or whatever excuse she makes up. Fucking Steve. Yeah. And she doesn't realize. News to me about Steve. That it's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Well, she's just not answering for it and she's really getting let off easy by her parents. And I think it doesn't dawn on her until the one person that's been on her side turns her back on Meadow. Janice turns her back on Meadow. She hears that and she hears Carmela sticking up for her. She's like, okay, you know what? I messed up. I need to own up to it. You know, the the punishment that I basically gave to myself with three weeks with no credit card is bullshit. Like, let me let me own up and take responsibility for my actions. And I think that, that what prompts her to do that is Janice turning her back on her and Carmela sticking up for her. I agree. Even Janice, when she's talking to Richie, she says Tony, nothing's ever his fault, which I think is just interesting that Meadow chose to change her mind and do and go clean the house at the end. So in some ways she's better than Tony because she did take ownership and try to fix it, which I think that's why Tony was just so caught off guard that she's making the right decision. Like, Did overhearing the conversation between Carmela and Janice propel this? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, was, for that sure. was it for me. The Bada Bing Comedian. He makes a lot of appearances. He's, this he is his back. second of like four yeah. appearances. If we ever do a live show, can we have him yes. open for us? Oh, for sure. Meadow's wearing a shirt that says Churchill's on it. Does anybody know what that is? It's a bad band. Well, pretty, they're never going to be on the show now. She is pretty... N- n- they're not a bad band. It's yeah. like just a very... She's got interesting taste in music, as we see from her college dorm posters and even her high school bedroom. It's a little mixed bag of... Which we will be dissecting, by the way, now. Yes, we will be I'm dissecting dorm room posters. So we have to like plan contingencies for no Justin. Um, that is all I have for this episode. I loved, loved, loved this episode. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else that you guys want to bring up? I had the big like overarching theme one that I wanted to like break down and see if you guys had a thought because this came late in the day. Okay. Um, this was the, I listed it as the duality of Richie and the rest of the cast. So Richie's the embodiment of absolute freedom. He makes his choices without remorse or second thought. And he has this free will to do whatever he wants. And when you compare Richie to all the other characters, specifically in this episode, who aren't in actual captivity, but stuck within their own form of it, like you have Carmela captive in her failing marriage, Melfi captured or captive by the fear and guilt of not treating Tony, Meadows grounded, Junior's on house arrest, Livia's stuck in a hospital bed, and even Tony's adjusting to his new position. I just thought that was so forced, and maybe that's why him as as a character stands out so much in this episode um, with this balance of someone that really does 
whatever he wants versus everybody else that are stuck. Thoughts? Did I go away to? You had me at embodiment. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. I no. outreached Vic this time. No, no, it's it's totally true. We 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 talked about it earlier. He's free. Tony's in jail in his own little prison dealing with all these people. Everybody's got their sort of their have all these restrictions and constrictions. But the irony of it all, like I said earlier, is that Richie does this all the while being under parole. You know, he's actually the least free out of all of them. But he acts with an inhibition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he throws his inhibitions to the wind. What movie is that from? Throw your inhibitions to the wind. Is that Bette, I think I feel a like lot. It's Bette Midler? <laughs> like wings? That's because that's you're thinking of like the wind beneath your wings, right? That yeah, song? that might be what I'm thinking. What of. a good song to end to. That's a sad fucking movie, by the way. Have I you know. seen Beaches? Of course. By the way, one movie that I want to submit to you that is not in the Godfather canon, but uh, it's another De Niro movie that is very underrated, Cape Fear. Oh, so good. Counselor? Counselor? That's so a, good. I love that movie. Counselor. <laughs> it is scary, man. And he did Did he get nominated for that movie? Because he should I think he have. did. I think he did. I think he did. That was Scorsese. That was a Scorsese yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. Cape well, let Fear? me just let me just confirm that. Confirm sir. that. And that was a great Simpsons adaptation too. Yeah, yeah, with Sideshow Bob. Mm-hmm. He did he did. It was a Scorsese. He directed that movie? Yeah. I'm gonna watch it tonight yeah. when I go home. That's great a, movie. That's, that's fucking game changing right there. I feel like I need to not just say the Churchills suck. That was mean. But they're an <laughs> indie pop. You want me to, rock you want me to edit that out? It's okay, but I mean this is all they have under their Wikipedia. The Churchills are an indie pop rock foursome from the New York, New Jersey area. They are probably most commonly known for their appearance on the television show Spin City during season three. They also appear on Meta Soprano wears a band t-shirt in episode three of season two of The Sopranos and again in episode three of season three. It's funny, it was insane. That's they're it. most well known for being on a t-shirt of Meta Soprano. <laughs> and you actually just read and that. And they also, awesome. the same song is also, there's another song that's featured on the TV show Scrubs. Oh, no and scrubs. no scrubs. They recorded in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> they're not playing the crazy horse, though. Anybody else with any final thoughts? Another thing that uh, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but Janice says this a couple of times to Tony, this, this phrase. There's a lot I can say right now that I'm not going to say. And it's like, okay, what, you're going to rat on him? Like, what yeah. is it that you possibly can say to Tony that Tony doesn't have, he, like, ten things back at you? In front of Carmela. Like she, yes, yeah. Like oh, just she's like trying that. to say, insinuate gotcha. that I'm going to tell Carmela something that she doesn't know about Got you. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. But what could be worse than multiple women on the side? Yeah. In her mind, yeah. you know, she knows he's killed people. Yeah. She knows he's sure. Naya, you had something too. In the scene before Tootaloo, where Melfi and her two girlfriends drink one whole bottle of wine, and it's like outrageous for them. One, I get that she wasn't expecting to see Tony and his friends, but when who asks for them to come join us, it looks like she's about to say sure and yeah. look to her friends. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, was she really just going to say yes and come do that if Tony hadn't interrupted her? And was she that drunk or was she just she was living in the that's moment? nervous funny. that like, that's just her response. Like, sure, whatever you guys want. Like, I'm f- afraid because later we find out she's like, I saw a patient I never want to see again. Yeah, so right. I don't know if she just... Defend it, but it literally looked it's, like she said, sure, coming out of her mouth. It's interesting you say that because I thought it was the opposite. I thought she was going to respond to him the way that, like, you would a cat caller, like, brush this guy off and be like, That's oh, right. Yeah, it was oh, weird. We couldn't, like we couldn't see what yeah. she got cut off too soon, but she was like, hi. It's in the catalog for me. That scene actually, we, di- we didn't actually 
paid enough respect, and I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, that scene that was discuss I, it. I, I a big agree. scene. It's a great scene. Great it's scene. a great scene with the guys. It's a the great veal. interaction with. It's a great scene with Melfi. But I think it's in the catalog of these awkward encounters that we have as human beings with people that you don't that you bump into that you don't want to talk to, and it's that moment when you're at the at the fork in the road, like a mm-hmm. Robert Frost poem, where it's like, do I go down this way or do I go down this way? And sometimes you just fucking talk to the person and you just say stupid this shit. This is called. Larry David coined this phrase that I use almost weekly, a stop and chat. Yeah, they what had are, a stop yeah. and chat. What a are the rules chat. with the therapist and the patient in the outside world? Oh, so she lays them in, in, in the beginning. Basically, if she sees him, she's not supposed to say anything. Wow. If he sees her, he can engage and she can respond back in kind and say, hi, how are you? And you know, obviously not give anything away, but... Basically, it's up to him to to wow. initiate contact, and then she can just be like, "Hi, how are you?" But nothing more than that. So the next time we talk to you will be by phone. It no. will be by phone. Make me sound like Naya. Yeah, well, if we, we could, could all like sound a, like we Naya, could do like a jail. The world would be a better yeah. place if we could all call sound like out Naya. of jail. What's that? It should be like a jail call, like how it sounds from when you, you have a collect a, call. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, could we could preface, we could yeah. preface every one we of his calls that. with like a calling into like the, <laughs> yeah. the like Louisville the, Penitentiary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in Elvis country. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.